Hello and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. It's Niall and Andrea here with this week's episode of the Nile or Nine podcast. We're going to be talking about songs of the summer. What constitutes a song of the summer? What constitutes your personal song of the summer? What is the song of the summer 2019? We will find out. And um, we're also going to be talking about songs from uh, an unlikely uh, good-haired source um, from TV, a uh, famous TV show, uh, along with uh, new tracks from Eider and Charlie XCX and Christine and the Queens. And we'll also be talking to Dean Van Wyn, who has a book out about Ghostface Killer. That's later on in the show. Um, but first, we're going to be talking about something that a lot of people have been talking about this week, Andrea. Yeah, we are. I think we kind of have to, don't we? Yeah. You, I think it warrants discussion. You sent me a message during the week and was like, are we talking about this? It was like, so I'm, I was interested in you saying that to me because you weren't totally familiar with Versatile? No. Okay. So. so I sort of knew that, like my experience with Versatile is I knew that there was an Irish act called Versatile and young people like them and that's it. I didn't know anything about them being like even rap or anything at all until this week when everything just seemed to explode. Yeah. So what is the catalyst for all this? Well, um, uh, the Dublin duo Versatile, who um, pretty much packed out Longitude at one of the biggest stage over the weekend uh, when it was on last month or earlier this month. Um, they got announced for a three arena show in November which sold out uh, on the day, no mm. problem. Obviously, the Three Arena is one of the biggest, uh, is the biggest venue in Dublin and in Ireland for those kind of gigs. And it prompted a lot of people who were either biting their tongue or trying to figure out how they felt about Versatile to look further into what Versatile do and what they say. Um, and it ain't good. Yeah, okay. So I was I was familiar with Versatile, of course, before this. Um Full disclosure, I did actually feature them in 2015 in a kind of a, this is mad, this is a joke kind of way. Even that song back then, uh, it was called, called Mad Scones or something like that, Mad something. They, it, I kind of didn't have any context for who they were. and hmm. um, They were young lads who were doing a rap song based off like Slick Rick's children's story, who were also talking about hanging guards and selling drugs. And I was like, what is this? Where did this come from? And I remember at the time the uh, the post got so many uh, views, and I couldn't tell you from where because uh, probably because you know they have they're also called Outburst uh, Outburst Productions Outburst ba- Pal, and uh, so since then I guess they've really like they kind of were I thought I thought they were this comedy like rap centered duo who were doing this music. Then they had a song out called Kenneman, mm-hmm. which really did blow up and i will say one thing that's really stood to them is their ability to be able to make engaging music videos to go along with their songs that's been a key to their success so far they're definitely Um, a youtube act yeah i think there's definitely there's somebody there whether it's the the two lads which are casper and eskimo supreme um pulling the strings on the music video front for sure there's Mm. somebody making their videos uh, look uh, very professional and they totally fit into, well, I guess, I mean, they're kind of like, they're, they fit into YouTube culture really well. Yeah. Um, I guess the thing about it now is that, first of all, the Irish Times did an article about a few weeks ago, our, our friend Ed Power did something mm. on them. Um, they don't do interviews. 
So they haven't really responded too much about the the lyrics. But what's been coming out more and more and more is that they are a duo who use a lot of misogyny and stereotyping in their lyrics. And I think the wider world in Ireland has started to figure out, hold on, how are these lads popular? Yeah. So is that where you come into it? Yeah. So I think over the past couple of days, I've gone and listened to them and I've read over their lyrics and their willingness to punch down is really stark. You know, I mean, there's there's a lot being said about the fact that they went to pri- private fee paying schools in Balls Bridge. They're from Dublin Ford. They're they're not the they're not their stage personas. And yeah, I, I I just find it interesting that given where we are right now in Ireland in terms of being a progressive culture and also given where hip hop is in our in Ireland now, like it's it's all it's kind of it's come into its own now and it's gaining a, a wider respectability and love from elsewhere in the world that it is this act who will be the first Irish rap or hip hop act to play the three arena. Um, it just feels like a shame because I know a lot of their fans, just even from looking at the conversations on Twitter, would say it's satire. Um, I think that satire looks around socially. It doesn't look down. Um, and if this was satire, they would be the butt of the joke and they're not. The butt of the joke here is is the working class. It's black women and it's addicts. Um, they and have, people in wheelchairs, which they've often used a wheelchair as their um, as a kind of a prop on stage yeah. and in their videos as well. Yeah, and it just it, I don't know. I I kind of feel like th- thinking about it and trying to put myself into a position of somebody who listens to this music. I I'm drawn to the kind of the persona of young white people who are concerned about conforming to political correctness, you know, feeling a bit on the outskirts. They feel that because they take drugs, they get to make fun of addicts, that because they like Kendrick Lamar, they get to, you know, make fun of rap culture. And these, this, also this persona of a, of a versatile listener might, might also have felt left out or left behind in a lot of the kind of political, changes we've made like they might not have felt the impact directly of say the eighth amendment referendum or the marriage referendum and they're afraid of you know feminists taking over and the world's becoming a place in which there's you're not allowed to be funny and there's no humor anymore because and they also don't have the experience of actually you know looking at stuff that is actually funny or actually looking at satire so they think that this is it you know so one of the strands of conversation around versatile in the last week has well in my sphere has certainly come from artists Mm. and mostly hip-hop artists um and mostly a lot of black artists uh hip-hop artists who are talking about this and um giving out about it and pointing to their lyrics, especially one song dumb city g's Mm. talking about uh black bitches and all this kind of stuff um 
that was a yeah I'm, a funny thing about that like for me is that that song has been out for a few years and mm. no one really copped it or was saying much about it and now it's become a an example of what they're doing that is uh, negative. Um, the other thing I think about this is that, like, I think it's really unfortunate that uh, they are being called a, a hip hop duo because they're not really I to agree. me. Yeah, they're. I mean, they're rapping, sure, but it's not. It, it's I not watched, a part of yeah. that, that culture. At I watched all. the Longitude video live. There, there's a highlights reel from their set live at Longitude. First thing that struck me was that their music is a combination of kind of electronic and ravey kind of stuff with mm. a bit of hip hop here and there. Uh, their producer is uh, Evan Kennedy, and he, uh, I will say, like, he is a big part of the group because that song, uh, Ketamine, which I think musically, is really interesting and has a lot going for it, but mm. is let down by some really obvious um, kind of bad attempts at comedy and that kind of Eminem style, like beating somebody up or like, yeah, like punching down, like you said. There are moments in that song which could suggest they are capable of much more. And that's where I was sitting with it for a long time. I was like, I want to see where this goes because mm. I want to see if these two actually have the satirical abilities that they seem to suggest sometimes that they have yeah. or are they just lowest common, de- common denominator going to like you say um stereotyping and just not being able to handle the satire because i think a lot of things about versatile at the moment is like no matter what we're saying here nobody who actually really likes versatile and there was a lot of people clearly in Ireland, um, mostly probably under the age of 24, 25, mm. uh, even younger, who just don't care what we have to say. Because yeah. there's there's always that like, oh, well, this is our music. This is something that we want. This is, this is uh, they're funny. What yeah. do you care? Like, it doesn't matter. It's they're only funny. a joke. Yeah. yeah. And But the, the, the thing about it is, I mean, if that's the argument, if the argument is that that's the joke, here's the joke, like where where is the joke? Like what what are we laughing at? Are are we laughing at two middle class men in in costumes of the working class and adopting a north side Dublin accent and pretending to sell uh, sell ketamine and heroin to like they, they they've a, a line where they thank quote all the smackheads on Abbey Street like that's that's so targeted like if you if you live in Dublin you know what they're talking about and they're talking about a very specific group of vulnerable people who who can't answer back to them like who do you know it's it's just the it's the kind of blase attitude of it's only a joke that is emblematic of a wider kind of you know, like it it made me think this week of what's his name one of Trump's fellas or I think Trump's son is bringing out a, a book called Triggered you know it's it's this whole kind of like to to trigger is to be funny and if you offend someone that that constitutes humor and like obviously whatever say whatever you want we like we live in a free country blah 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 but if if you're going to be funny be funny like make make fun of yourselves like make fun of yourselves as two middle class lads trying to engage with 
rap culture. That's funny. Like I'd I'd listen to that, but I I don't necessarily want to. I don't ever want to listen to two people who are essentially privileged trying to give a voice to other privileged people who just want to play dress up and pretend that they're poor or marginalized for a little while. It just sucks. Like it, it just feels like it's counterintuitive to where we're going socially and where specifically Irish hip hop is going. Yeah. They, um, I think they make fun of themselves in the way that they embody these characters that they're playing. But if that's they are not making characters. fun of themselves. Yeah. That's, that's making fun think, of the characters they're playing. And then that song, Dublin City G's, just to say, like, I mean, there's a lot of basically about like, oh, I like, saying that they like black women and black women prefer uh, the, what is it, the word? They love the young fellas flute straight from Dublin, all this kind yeah. of stuff. Like, oh, I got a small dick, it doesn't matter kind of thing. Um, and playing on the stereotypes of, Black men have a, have big dicks and and, yeah. and white men don't. Um, there is well, there's there's a lot of those kind of racial stereotypes that they just throw out as if that's the joke. And I don't know. It's just like aside from it being racist, it's just not funny. It's the same as standing up on a stage and saying, "Hey, black people like chicken." And it's like, really, is that is that where we're still at? Is that like it's? And I know these lads are young. Like they're only they're 20, in their early twenties. Like yeah, they're yeah. they're young lads, and hopefully they'll cop on and you know take take what they're able to clearly able to do musically their confidence that they can stand up in front of a crowd of however many thousands there were at longitude with that confidence and actually say something through humor and through music instead of just pointing and laughing at people you know what gets me about this most i think at the moment and i still don't know how i feel about the whole thing because like yeah it's it's certainly um degrading to uh, certain types of people in society in that way i know i i feel like like warranted or not it they are trying to be funny mm. but now they're at a level where they're going to get called out because they're not quite hitting the mark yeah and all the people that have brought them to this point who are generally younger and who wouldn't care about the nuance of those kind of debates um just discard it and mm. don't care about it the other thing that gets me here is that like a lot of people the conversation i've seen in the last week has been about don't let these be the face of irish hip-hop um and i think that's a dangerous thing to to put forward because for me in my head i was like versatile are two fucking chancers mm. who are trying on this thing who are doing you know who captured the imagination um but they don't represent irish hip-hop like that's no but i think and i think that's a dangerous thing for people to keep putting out there that like yeah. oh you shouldn't listen you should listen to uh, this instead it's like they are a phenomenon not because they are irish rappers or rap at all it's mm -hmm. because they're doing they're like youtube edgelords that's they what they're are. doing yeah like that's why they're popular they're not popular because oh loads of people suddenly like rap music or anything like that no and they don't they're not interchangeable you can't interchangeably go oh well actually you shouldn't be listening to versa you should be listening to something else like well i i, I don't believe that i the young Irish people that listen to Versatile also listen to God Knows. Do you know? Like, I I don't believe that it's indicative of, like, somebody getting into Versatile is any way a 
a clue into the Irish hip hop scene. But I think just because it's such a small, it's still, it still remains such a small scene in this country that they just get lumped in because they're rapping. And that's, I think that's where the shame is. Like, I think one of the things that certainly helped that, uh, uh, that narrative develop is that Reggie Snow, when he played uh, in the Olympia in 2018, brought versatile, it was a special guests. Yeah. Um, now, I remember that at that point, a lot of people were going, oh, I can't believe he brought them out. Mm. Fair enough. I understand that completely. But Reggie Snow is not based in Dublin most of the time, even he's from Dublin. So he's totally out of touch with what's going on here, probably. Yeah. And like somebody was like, oh, bro, why why would he bring Versatile out if he was actually trying to show, yeah. you know, Irish rap in a positive light? I think that's a lot of where that uh, narrative came from. And I think as well to to kind of, I don't know, I've I've also seen within the discourse a lot of people saying, "Oh well, you know, this has been happening for years. Like, what? What? Why is it a big deal now? It's a big deal now because it's selling out three arena, and it, it means like young people are listening to this and finding it funny. And that to me is the problem. Like, where even so- socially, kind of why beyond this, beyond Ireland to the UK to America, like we, we have politicians who are making racist jokes and then saying that it's satire or we have, we have politicians who are just saying racist things and getting away with it. And we have this huge backlash against quote unquote cancel culture that if you do anything to offend people, you're going to be seen as some kind of warrior of free speech. Um, and they'll get away with it because they're selling tickets and they're easy to promote and that's the problem there like it's it's, it's something just, that definitely yeah. has a short short uh shelf life it does um, but what but what about the the young people who are watching them now and seeing the instant success that they're getting like you even think like to transfer it over to youtube like l- the logan pauls of youtube like h- how many different edgy like bordering on racist or flat out racist YouTube channels did he spawn? And then that's, that's when you create a culture of that and you get, you get people within that group just talking to each other. And then it's just, it goes around and around and around people telling jokes to each other within that group. And it becomes a really, really toxic environment. But when that toxic environment is being projected out and being promoted, like, and, and supported by promoters it's yeah I don't know like they can obviously anyone can make any type of music they want anyone can make any type type of jokes that they want this is the world that we live in fine but what's so kind of surprising to me and points to a much larger issue is the is their popularity it's I'm like, I'm afraid to say it. It, it. it isn't baffling to me at all. I understand completely why people listen to Versatile and find them funny. Not, not that I do, but I understand I that attitude. One of the points here is that like, if, when you see these kind of things now that it's got to this level and pe- much more people are calling it out, it's good in a way because like an artist like Erica Cody, for example, a young Dublin R&B soulful singer who was actually in an ad with um, Versatile a couple of years ago, a lifestyle sports ad. So this is where a lot of this came from. She was tweeting a lot about this this week, uh, taking offense at those lyrics in particular in Dublin City G's. Um, 
And this is what one of the things she said is, this is not ah, it's only a joke, it's the normalisation of classist, racist, homophobic and sexist lyrics that have now managed to become part of the mainstream Irish media. Um, and that's what where they're headed now because of their popularity. You know, yeah. everyone wants to talk about them. Like that Ed Power article in the Irish Times was literally like, you've never heard, was basically a, a versatile primer for people who've never heard of versatile mm. who are re- Irish Times readers and generally more middle-aged. It was like, should who are these that your kids are listening to kind of thing yeah um and then erica also go on to say like i found it funny because when you have to deal with the effects of racism all your life day to day it gets to a point where it's a pain you just laugh at something because they get getting angry doesn't change the situation click with me the lyrics aren't a problem here although they are a problem what the real problem is that if a music artist of color came out making songs with the same energy speaking about white women they wouldn't be supported in the same way as you guys have been yeah. so obviously that was a response directly to them um and then there's other people like finch who we've talked about before uh he's you know saying well aware they're a comedy act but lazy passages of lyrics which can be construed as racist homophobic isn't comedic yeah i think that's what a lot of people are like yeah it's just not funny it's just not funny if it was funny you'd be able to get away with it and then you'd be able to do the edgelord line of uh, of being like oh they're controversial and they're doing this but it's really like stuff that people joke on the nose for that kind of stuff this is the like i feel like their whole brand their whole value proposition is we're going to say the racist and homophobic stuff that you already say when you're with your mates. And that just perpetuates such an awful, awful mentality. And yeah, I don't know. I just find it really sad that so many young people are listening to them. And like, maybe they're, they're not delving into the lyrics with like, music journalists in this country went many years without looking at their lyrics i went until this year without even knowing who they were like it's i'm it's sure yeah like, one of those I, I definitely heard that song dublin cgs i didn't listen that closely before. yeah I've like I've, I've, I've had conversations this week with a couple of different music journalists who have said i've i've wrote about them before or whatever and that that doesn't mean that doesn't mean anything now. Now we li- we live in a different world now to when we did in like 2010 or whatever. Well, look, you're a- you're able to, I think, uh, take new information on board and change your opinion based on what somebody's doing. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it would have been easy enough when they were starting out to see a, a problematic group, you know, land in your emails and just be like, "Well, I'm I'm not getting involved in this." they'll probably go nowhere or they're not having an impact. But now that they are, I think it's completely fair to have the conversation. I guess the troubling thing about this for a lot of people is that they've got to this point without having much um, media coverage, mm. do you know? Mm. And I think that's where the the shift in dynamic now with uh, modern life has occurred, where you don't actually have to be supported by um at the mainstream media before you get to the tree arena yeah, in order to got... break free because everything happens on the internet and that's where your fans are yeah and uh on and uh, this this points to a wider issue with youtube generally like youtube has come under a lot of very warranted criticism recently for their treatment of lgbt creators for example um demonetizing their work refusing to take down you know, Steven Crowder videos that are using homophobic slurs and, you know, tar- targeting specific people. Um, there's, there's an intersection between, you know, perceived marginalization of white working class men 
YouTube culture, YouTube edgelord culture and cancel culture. Like there's that, that Venn diagram is there and people like versatile and people like, you know, edgy comedians, like oh, what's his name? It's fucking, uh, was canceled last year. Um, Louis yeah, Louis yeah. You, you know, those like that, that kind of I'm pushing the boundaries culture. It exists in, in the middle of those three kind of intersections. And I don't know. I, 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 I only see it getting worse. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. Well, if anything, um, it it has placed uh, a lot of emphasis on whatever versatile do next <clears throat> in terms of uh, their output and what they say in their music. Mm. People are paying attention now, so they can't really get away with it. There was an image of uh, posted as well on Twitter for a screenshot from one of their friends' Instagram pages, which shows them in blackface, uh, dressed up as two members of NWA. Completely so, unsurprised at that. Yeah. So, yeah, those kind of things are going to come to the fore now if there's stuff in their past or yeah. if there's things that people are paying attention to. And, Do they have an album? Uh, they had a mixtape from a couple of yeah. years ago. So, it, like, it feels like the next logical step for them would be an album, and they ca- they can't hide behind like they can't hide behind. Oh, it's just a joke on an album because. You, you, you get to deep dive into it and, and ask questions like, well, where's the joke? You know, like actual album reviews, actual criticism of, yeah, of them as artists, I, I think will, will they, destroy I, them. Currently, they, they don't engage in the same way as any other artists who are coming up. Mm. They have a fan base that exists. They released their mixtape to or album to their fan base and it w- won't be sent out to media to be promoted in the mm. same way because it doesn't oh, we'll need get to. It. <laughs> we'll get it don't worry well, if it's out you can listen to it for yeah, sure yeah um but yeah that's uh so that's versatile this week that's versatile um, this week that's our thoughts a lot going on there i guess that's been bubbling under for a long time really um yeah. well I'm, I'm i'm glad it's i'm glad people are kind of taking notice now i'm, I'm glad i know about them you know mm. i'm not in the dark about that kind of yeah i will world. say i was like at about a year ago i was kind of gone the song Kenneman has a lot going for I think they are capable of something that as opposed to uh, resorting to cheap laughs but the number of things so far that have just come out about it and I'm like oh just makes me feel bad yeah you know for for engaging in any way about it um so it'll be interesting to see what happens next that's it for will. sure they're gonna they're gonna play to the three arena MCD are putting on the gig they MCD um they uh, will put on unless there's huge uproar. Then they might cancel something like that. I but they're not going to cancel. They're not going to cancel something like that. They've sold it out. What's the point? Yeah, yeah. It's it's gonna ha- gonna go ahead, and the uh, conversation around this is only going to grow. I would imagine. Yeah. And has it been on Joe Duffy yet? Oh God, I don't know. I'm sure it will if it if it, <laughs> if it hasn't yet. Um, yeah. So that is versatile. So what else is going on this week? Well, Drake? speaking of um, ticket sales. Um, if I'd like you to, I, I want to invite you to cast your mind back to 2010 when, um, a group or a business called Live Nation merged with Ticketmaster. Yeah. Are you there? Now cast your mind forward seven years to 2017. And there was a secret phone conversation recorded between two people, one of whom is Live Nation's president of US concerts, Bob Rue, spelled like LaRue. Um, and Metallica's, the band, ticket consultant slash sometimes tour manager, whose name is Tony Kiokio. 
I'm going to call him Tony, uh, in which Tony asks the Live Nation guy, Rue, to help him sell 88 tickets to Metallica's upcoming tour on resale 88,000. Uh, sorry, 88,000 tickets to the upcoming tour on resale sites. To which Rue replied, no, that would be immoral. No, he didn't. He replied, of course, um, saying that he can he can transfer thousands of tickets into another account for resale. Um, and the, that account belonged to a broker hired by Live Nation. So this has come out this week um, because Billboard got access to that, that conversation, basically. And I wasn't surprised that this kind of thing is happening. It's, oh, we know this has been happening. Yeah, we know it's happening. Um, and Live Nation also said that it did this for, quote, around a dozen artists between 2016 and 2017, but that now requests have declined virtually to zero as tools like dynamic pricing, platinum seats, and VIP packages have proven to be more effective. And I just, I found that the call interesting. call is coming from inside the building. Yes, exactly. Um, I found that interesting in the context of the kind of furore around the Lizzo tickets this year in for the gig in the Olympia, where there was, you know, it sold out immediately. Well, there, there was our artists kind of pre-sale and then it sold out within a few seconds and then tickets were going up for 150 quid, 200 quid on resale sites and then bam, on Ticketmaster, a VIP package for the same price that Hmm. they were being sold on the resale sites. So I don't know. I like, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that this uh, is no longer lucrative for Live Nation and Ticketmaster. Yeah, I did an article about this last year and and the likes of StubHub who are apparently shutting down what they're doing, um, mm. but they're still currently selling tickets for Lizzo. Uh, there's a couple of different arguments there? about that. Yeah, €149. Euro, um, yeah, that's that's the price of the VIP package. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. The VIP package is not available on Ticketmaster currently. There's no. We can't be done available. for libel, can we? Um, yes, we always can. Um, <laughs> allegedly. allegedly. <laughs> um, the so with that, you know, um, the tickets on StubHub for Lizzo are ranging from 149 to uh, 400 euro. One Jesus. between one ticket and four tickets max. Um, the, it seems to be three uh, like eight tickets there on StubHub currently um between 140 and 400 euro yeah mm -hmm. um there is a lot of suggestions though still that uh, you know ticket touts can still get into spotify pre-sales like anyone else and mm -hmm. buy up tickets um and i don't know if that still happens but the suggestion is that that still is happening um much where is more. that like i would probe where that suggestion is coming from like if no just generally like i mean yeah just be, if you're looking at like there's eight tickets on the stove hub right now for this as a week mm. for example um it's the it's the quantity thing that gets me is like if metallica are selling somebody uh representing metallica are selling selling eighty eight thousand tickets yeah uh, on the sly and the band don't know about it they're making money off yeah. that well i Who's mean making they're the money off they're that? Ticket consultant slash tour manager knew about it. Yeah, and they're claiming and, they don't know any about it. Yeah, but, but like, and like the, they're like a corporate rock band. They mm -hmm. have like uh, their own beer and uh, like special premium packages. Well, Metallica for themselves haven't made a statement about this. The band haven't mm -hmm. said anything about this. This has all kind of come from their tour manager. But yeah, no, they're they're absolutely a, a money making machine. Metallica, like, um, 
no encores Dave Hanready went to see them in Paris and he he was sending me pictures of kind of the the experience that you get when you go over there and it's just merch 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 it's nuts um so that doesn't surprise me what does surprise me is is if if it is happening kind of behind the artist's back like this doesn't seem like something Lizzo would do <laughs> you know um no, uh, but just leaving the Lizzo gig aside for a second, mm. um, you know, there was supposed to be a complete ban and all these kind of things yeah. uh, last year. But the reality is policing those is near impossible. Yeah. Like all you can do is if it's clear that thousands of tickets are arriving at the same time, something's that. up, yeah. something's up. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things I'd say about that. It, it is such a difficult thing to ascertain so the fact that they have a secret recording um of somebody saying this is proof of those kind of things oh yeah so yeah it just goes on and on and on um i even like have a hard time remembering where we're at with it because it seems to be changing so much you know yeah it seems that laws are passed and then oh they're not coming in until next year and then oh here's a loophole it's like the reality of it is you can't make something illegal if you don't know how to police it. Yeah, so like politicians like Noel Rock can talk about doing all this kind of stuff and, and shutting this down. Um, but the reality is it's really hard to figure out the sources, yeah. where they're coming from. So their answer so far has been to kind of shut off the um, premium reselling websites like StubHub, who StubHub said they were going to be closing in Ireland Um very soon mm. um, but you know the fact is there are still Lizzo tickets on StubHub right now so yeah. what does that mean um, so it's one worth keeping an eye on um, as well so uh, yeah um, it's an interesting one it it's is, an odd one yeah I just think it's such a it's like something from the wire with like a recorded phone call I'm like oh yeah. god imagine getting your hands on that you'd be delighted <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so that happened this week and it is a bad thing. Yeah. Two bad things. Two bad things. <laughs> In the news. Um, yeah, so that's uh, most of the news stuff we're going to talk about this week. Um, we will, will we move on to songs of the week? Yeah, I think I so. Think There's better will. news there, I think. Okay, let's start with our first one. This is from Charlie XCX and Christine and the Queens, and the song is called Gone. Stable fucking hate 
Okay, that's Charlie XCX and Christine and the Queen. Song is called Gone. It is from Charlie XCX forthcoming album, which I believe is out in September, and uh, one of many of the guest spots on the album that is uh, Christine and the Queens with Charlie. Um, how do you feel about this song, Dre? Um, she's a good collaborator, isn't she? Like she, I think she gets she she can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I don't, I don't know if this is like the best example. I will say I didn't really, wasn't sure what to make of this when it first came out. And I think mm. a lot of it was due to the video. It's just like, it felt like a lot of misdirection going on in the video. I haven't seen the video. All right, it's just the two of them with so much energy throwing themselves around <laughs> the place. I'm like, is this like, it, it felt like watching um, two young uh kids dancing to their favorite song oh that sounds nice it, yeah but it, it just felt like whoa there's so much energy here what is going on yeah and i couldn't process the song at all at first uh, it's definitely grown on me since then I has can, it yeah yeah but it's taken me it probably took me about eight or nine listens really to before i was like oh this song is actually quite good yeah um, i don't know if i'm quite there yet i'm i'm not sure if the chorus hits as much as i wanted to um i think that's fair like i i think i i I want more of the Christine the Queen sound in it. It feels like Charlie is definitely dominating this sound here. It very much sounds like a Charlie XEX song. And it also sounds a lot like a lot of the other pop music that's been released this year. So it didn't it didn't stand out to me as being a song from the Charlie XEX that I like. Right. More so a a pop song that's very much of 2019, do you know? Well, I actually like the bombastic nature of the song. It is A.G. Cook, who has produced a lot of the Charlie XCX songs in the last few years. And I like that kind of Charlie XCX stuff mm. where it's like that PC music kind of vibe, the kind yeah. of upbeat, um, deep, low end, that kind of like interesting pop song almost. Um, and I like that part of it. I do like that part of it. So, mm. And it makes sense to me that this is on the Charlie XCX album that it sounds more like her than Christine. Yeah. If it was the other way around, yeah, it would be a bit uh, strange to have it on a Christine album. Um, and yeah, you could say she's just a proxy for, Christine's just a proxy for Charlie XCX in this, in terms of like a collaborator. She just does the verse that Charlie would have done if, yeah, <laughs> if she definitely. wasn't there. Like it's kind of, it's, I don't know. I I feel like I wanted something a little bit more dynamic in the vocals. Maybe there's not that much of a change up between the verses and the chorus. The verses go quite hard with the with the energy um, in, in terms of her vocals. And then it just sort of drops off in the chorus for me. And in terms of the the music behind what they're singing, I think I think it's it sounds really good. Like it sounds glossy and clean and that kind of sheen that. Char- Charlie XCX tends to have on, on on her bigger pop tunes, and I like that. I just I don't know something something hasn't clicked with me just yet with the collaboration and also with the kind of with the vocal dynamics in it. It just didn't. There's no there's no moment in it that bangs. Yeah. I got in trouble with the Charlie pop stands a few weeks ago when I was uh, tweeting my um, desire for Charlie XCX to release the album that she, I think she has in her. The, I totally agree. And people were like, she already released that album. It's like, I don't think she has. No, I don't the, think she's, the, the last album she released was really, really good. And I think people slept on it a bit. I think she's released good albums for sure. But I feel like she has the capacity to release a a game-changing pop album in her. I and absolutely agree. That's a lot to put on somebody, but that's mm. 
uh, indicative of the level of the talent that I think she has. I, I agree. And she's been around for long enough and I think she's able to do it. She's able to write these songs. I just hope. And in a, in a way, this kind of maybe suggests this is more on the right side for me for what I want from from Charlie XCX. If there was an album. Look, my favorite Charlie XCX song is probably um, that um, song with that she did with Sophie um, Vroom Vroom. <laughs> like it's oh, right. so ridiculous. Mine is Boys. Yeah, okay. Like yeah. that's that's the route I want her to go down. Okay, Putting so in somewhere weird. in between would be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree that she has she has better and like, and that it's not to diminish the work she's done in the past. I, th- I think she's a great artist, but I think you're dead right in saying that she, she, she has a game changing album in her and maybe this will be it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Okay. That's Charlie XCX with, um, Christine Queens. Both are playing electric picnics this year. Um, so, well, you can check them out if you're going, if you have a ticket, uh, up next, we have a surprising song from, uh, how do we say it? It's right. It's D- we're, we're either going D-Jo? with DJ or DJ. Let's go with DJ. His name is Joe, right? It's Joe Carey. Is, <laughs> it's it's the it's Steve with the good hair from uh, Stranger it's Things. Steve. He released a song, and it's actually pretty good. It's pretty good. And this is what it sounds like. Cutting the page, things are looking up. That time is up. So that is D Joe with song called Roddy came in of nowhere for me at all. You sent it to you put this on the list that we were selecting songs for songs mm-hmm. of the week for. I was like, who is this? Yeah. So it was, before you gave me the answer, I, I googled it and I was like, oh, how weird. Did you know before you listened? No, I had no idea. Oh, okay. So yeah, I I was sent it this morning and I was like, oh, this this is cool. This is kind of my jam. What is this? And then I realized it was Joe Keery. Um, Who you have personal feelings for. I have a marriage <laughs> with him in my mind. Um, yeah. So he plays Steve Harrington on Stranger Things. He's the best thing about the show. Um, and this, like musically, this is kind of right up my street. That it's a kind of a gentle, hazy, moody, psych pop. It, like it doesn't... I don't know. It doesn't push too hard for anything. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. You just kind of bop along to it. It's really relaxing to listen to. And he, it, this isn't like a kind of a, oh, now I'm famous and now I'm going to become a musician. He, he was in a psych rock, um, band called Post Animal before, uh, like he, he was in that band when he got the role in Stranger Things. And then before they released their LP in 2018, he left the band because he didn't want his 
kind of budding stardom to overshadow the band, which I think is kind of cool. Um, and I've gone and listened to a couple of their tracks. Good They're pretty man, good. Joe. Yeah, I get, like, and he's nice too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's not only talented and dreamy, he's nice too. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm really excited to hear more from him. This is great. This I was pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah. Yeah, it was really nice. Good man. Like, like, I haven't brought myself to watching the music video yet because I don't know if I can take him. Is there a music video? I think so, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know if I can take him like seriously doing like a moody yeah music video man thing well, I, well we'll have to see if that happens we'll, we'll have see, to see though but well, for the moment musically i'm taking them seriously yeah well I, I heard this without any context it's like this is nice what is this yeah i like it into it um so yeah that is joe keery from uh stranger things <laughs> what a song called lad. roddy uh dg djo is just uh, how you uh spell it so uh, that if you want to look for it more and give it more listens i i think i will be hearing that i again. think i will too <laughs> well, next is a song from tandem felix a new song from them there uh, it's called nightclub i sold my soul to the devil the night in the city with the washed up Tandem Felix with a song called Nightclub I Saw My Soul to the Devil uh, they have a forthcoming album coming out later this year um, yes I think so that is a song about what do we think it's about Ray? Um, I think it's about selling your soul to the devil so that you can drink every night and okay. the effects that that has on you your soul and other things and I really 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 like this song I think it I love the pace of it, um, how it kind of, it's really considered, like it takes its time with things. The instrumentation is also very considered. Um, that like later on in the track when the violin comes in, I just think it's such a warming moment. And alongside this, obviously David Topley's like really great storytelling lyrics. Like it's, it's proper, you know, it's proper folk and, it's yeah it's just a lot like I was listening to it walking around town today on my way here and I was like yeah this is this is definitely a whole mood as opposed to just being mm. you know a, a, a snippet of something it's I'm, I'm really excited to hear it in the context of an album well I love the lyrics and the primary songwriter David Tapley says over three nights over three verses I wanted to plot my decline on graph paper one night with friends one night stuck in a queue and one night begging to leave night one smells like mint and aftershave night two is dressed like a cowboy and night three is scared to go to sleep 
That, yeah, that feels familiar. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought this was going to be a song about how crap nightclubs are. I was like, hold on a second. Yeah. I was getting defensive. Hang on. <laughs> and then I was like, no, it's not like that at all. No, okay. it's, re- it's really, really fantastic and considered work. I, th- I think it's brilliant. Cool. So that is from Tandem Felix, and that is called Nightclub. I sold my soul to the devil. Oops, next is a song from a duo called Eider from England and they had an album last Friday called Emotional Education and this is from it called uh, Saddest Generation. You said that I shouldn't want you I said I still did with a song called Saddest Generation. Uh, I think what struck me about this were the lyrics mainly. Um, I was kind of taken aback by, um, I've been a fan of Idear, I guess, for the last couple of years, just like liking their tunes. A lot of the lyrics, and they're quite pretty melodies and uh, nice songs. And what struck me about this was the kind of anger in it um, about... It seems to be drawn from a personal situation. It says there's a line there about uh, you said you didn't want kids, but it also seems to be about mental health as well, perhaps. Mm. And maybe, or maybe this is me projection, but the projecting, but the anguish that a lot of young, maybe millennial aged people feel about the world and what the uh, possibilities that people are ha- have for themselves in the world. Um, and I was just kind of struck by the very forthright and direct nature of those lyrics as mm. well uh, for a song like this. It did. I wasn't expecting it. Mm. I, th- I think that's a fair reading of what the lyrics are, are yeah. going for. Um, yeah, there's moments in the vocals in this that I really like. And I, I like the overall kind of sound of it. But I think the effect of it overall is a little bit too kind of fist scrubby theme teen anthem for me like i i just feel like the central message is slightly too on the nose for me um i get that as well yeah, yeah. i can totally feel like the song is called saddest generation yeah <laughs> yeah like they're definitely not wrapping anything up in metaphors here it's very stark and very direct but i just I kind of appreciated just, that you know yeah because like, I, I wasn't expecting it yeah. it wasn't like a song from logic or something like that mm. where it's about like uh, you know, suicide or mental health. It's like, it was just came from an unexpected source for me. I didn't expect this from this Yeah, band. I think that's what makes it interesting. I just think, I, I just felt as it went on towards the end in that, that there's more, more vocals are kind of added to the chorus and it becomes very anthemic and it was maybe verging on cheesy for me and I couldn't, I couldn't, 
yeah, I don't know. Um, it was just a little bit on the nose for me. But yeah, I, I, I'm saying that kind of divorced from knowing anything about them, like or or its context within the album. And, yeah. and I think that the central message is obviously a good one to be talking about, you know. Yeah, I, I haven't actually listened to the album properly yet, so I don't know. But this mm. was the, this was actually the song that uh, was chosen for me on my release radar this week. So oh, that's how I heard go. it. Yeah. Um, not realizing they actually had the album out. Um, I'm interested to see how this works in the context of the album which I must do properly. Mm-hmm. I think I've listened to half of it. Um, but I also must, uh, I'd like to see them live properly and see how that shakes out and what, what it's like live. Um, yeah, I totally get your point And I, I see that. Uh, mm-hmm. I can see that from both sides about like, yeah, it is on the nose. And yeah. it doesn't try to be uh, subtle. But no. kind of like that about it. Like those, like those lyrics, like you mad motherfucker. It's obviously... You know, it seems to be talking about mental health and using that kind of anger you might have with somebody who might be struggling with something in mm-hmm. a in a kind of a very primal way. Um, I, I did like the lyric about not wanting kids. I felt like that was a very generational kind of a, a, approach to that. Just because I don't know, you just think about the context of the fact that people of the millennial generation can't even think about that because we can't afford houses and do you know do you know that kind of thing yeah it's and that's certainly that where kind of, i think i got that idea of yeah that I, I like that lyric a lot that. yeah um it's partly wrapped up in like uh, a, the situation of of being a young person in the 21st century in 2019 yeah. right now and being like i can't see a future for myself so i could see a future for my kids and not getting a chance to kind of quote unquote grow up properly in the same way that our parents did and stuff so yeah, yeah it's a, it's a go. good message good guys okay that's our songs of the week for this week uh, briefly just want to say thank you to everybody that signed up to the Patreon the last week we had about uh, 50 new uh, members sign up I did actually finally email everyone um, I'm, I'm not great at asking for money and mm. it, it is a hard thing to do uh, but you know I'm really grateful for anyone who did sign up in the last week and who signed up before. Um, it really does help us uh, do what we do. And if you are one of those people who enjoy this podcast and enjoy the website and any of the writing from the likes of Luke and Kelly on the site and myself uh, and appreciate the gig guide or our playlist, anything like that, um, I want to support us. You can support us from a fiver a month on patreon.com forward slash nine or nine. Uh, and I think we're offering a lot of nice exclusive bonus content oh, on yeah, there you as get well. Little presents, yeah, little presents like uh, discounts to we're giving away free tickets to Lumo at the moment. We've got playlists, uh, uh, playlists personalized. Got, got a new one coming up in the next week. Uh, personalized playlist if you sign up to this at the higher tier. And uh, we've got some merch coming up like badges too, as well as uh, DJ mixes and special podcast interviews and radio shows that I'm doing once a month. So look, there's lots of extras there as well. Yeah. So just to say that um, it's uh, you're supporting the site, but you're also getting a lot of extra stuff as well. So I appreciate that. That is patreon.com forward slash Nyler9. Now it's time for, it has been a scorcher of a week and generally a couple of weeks for Man, it, it's in a Ireland. hot one. <laughs> oh, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> It's the song of the summer. Uh, <laughs> so that was that a song of the summer of that year? I it can't believe was. I didn't put it on my list. I am. I'm really raging. glad you didn't. That's the the song of the summer, isn't it? Forever. The Forever. Song of the summer. Like it or not. Mm. Uh, hopefully that riff, not. Though. <laughs> that riff, though. That riff. 
I actually heard that while I was down in Kerry and I was like, oh God, it's such an earworm. Why do you want it to fucking go away? Oh, it's brilliant. So bad. Um, so Song of the Summer, what is a Song of the Summer? Well, to me, a Song of the Summer is a song that um, there's a couple of different categories of songs in the summer. Uh, the first one is the mainstream, big, popular one that everyone knows, like Daft Punk. Uh, yeah, get lucky. Get so, lucky. Check it out. The summer. Check it out. It's the song of the summer. <laughs> um, and then there's other ones like at the moment. Or your Despacito. Despacito. Or, yeah. yeah. Or uh, the likes of uh, the one that is currently breaking all the records uh, in the US at the moment. Uh, Old Town Road by yes. Little Nas X. I think it's like 51. I, it's like 15 weeks or sorry how many weeks is it at number one i have no idea somebody said 51 that can't make that, that doesn't make no, any sense. that's the sound Fif- of last summer yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's still the sound of the summer uh 15 uh, probably weeks uh, at number one i think uh so that is and the interesting thing about that is um i was just doing a podcast during the week uh called switched on pop which mm. uh, is basically a musicologist's uh, dream. I, I listen to listened, it yeah. and it's good. Okay. Uh, well, th- apparently the beat for uh, Old Town Road came from uh, one of those online uh, beat making sites where you just uh, lease a beat for 30 oh, quid. I love that. And that's where it came from. I love um, Old Town Road. I think it's great. And there's like a million and ten different remixes of it as well and collaborations and covers. And there's supposedly a Dolly Parton gas. one on the way. Class. Like, I think I listened to that song 10 or 15 times this week because I was looking after a seven and a nine year old. And uh, are, are they into that? Is that, that, what, that well, what they like? the, the seven year old, that was her world right now, oh. is Old Town Road. Yeah. That's that's nice. That's a nice yeah. world, I think. <laughs> so, yeah, that is a song of the summer in many ways. We did it. This is prompted by an article we did on the site uh, last week uh, about the song of the summer. And by deduction, I think. There's a lot of our personal overall song of the summer this year. Mm. There's a lot of criteria in songs of the summer, right? One of the criteria is apparently that it has to be released before the end of April for nah. it to be really... Before uh, the end of April, absolutely yeah, not. To get enough time to get out there so that it reaches critical mass. Um, that is one thing. The other thing is a song that you just hear everywhere in different locations, whether it be at a festival, in your in a house party. Inspire. Uh, inspire um so for me this year and a lot of other people i presume the song of the summer considering what we were talking about earlier on is lizzo's juice i think it that is uh the song of the summer has there been a song more infectious than that this year that it has was released on january 4th Mental. this year and it has persisted and persisted and of course you know what it sounds like but we're gonna play a bit of it anyway this is juice Any by excuse? lizzo <laughs> I'm not a bad 
still nowhere near sick of the, hearing that song at all. And if anything, it's just got better and better as the year has progressed. Um, its staying power is immense. It's got hooks for days, that song. It's just like every so every line is a hook pretty much. And uh, yeah, I can't get sick of it. I'm not sick of it yet. And uh, yeah, so that is officially for me my song of the summer. And that's what we discussed. We had a lot of discussion about this last week. Mm. Um, but rather than decide uh, for each individual person we thought we'd just uh pick a few different um categories of songs of the summer mm. um so the first one i guess is a more like nostalgic one so songs that you associate with summer um i will start it is uh this reminds me of hazy galway days particularly one weekend i was with my mates and we were going to see spiritualized i believe i was staying in my friend's gaff when he was in college and we were listening to the album Tribe Call Quest's uh, Midnight Marauders, um, and we listened to that in the sunshine, sitting out the backyard, and I always just associate that with summertime. Mm. And uh, the song in particular I'm going to play is from, uh, is called We Can Get Down, and uh, this is that song. This reminds me of Summers. We can get down. Cherry on the top of your ice cream. I'm the mystical inside your dream. Listen to the way we pulsate the jam. I'm the nigga here with the mic in hand. Styles that we present are just a few to do away with you and your home drum crew. This is '93 and the shit is real. Black people unite and put down your steel. Ladies make a forum on your sexual drive. Devote it to your lover and make it thrive. The rhythms of F. I'm a hip hop body. Release my energy with the force of the shoddy. Standing on the wall with my polo on. Talking to the girl with the list plate born. Keep the poetry in my black knapsack. Got my Timbo horse and my double bit pack. Hit the city streets to enhance my soul. So that is a song that I associate with summers. Main reason is I think I'm trying to think about like a, basically it's a song you've heard in the past and that you go back to that you associate with summers. Uh, I think another uh, version of this would have had a song by the Beastie Boys because they're my, basically my favorite act. Mm. Um, I remember a whole summer when To the Five Boys coming out that came out. Um, just listening to the album outside a lot and even hello nasty i associate that with a, a summer holiday in france and when i got it on cassette and i listened to it on my walkman a lot so that's just one of those examples yeah. of the kind of song or album you might have listened to um so that was my choice that is a uh, tribe called quest we can get down dre what would be your person one of your personal choices for a song of the summer that so every year on the first day, I, I don't know if this is a thing that everyone gets, but I always get one day where I feel like the season has changed, you know, and you're like, now it's spring, now it's summer, now it's autumn. Um, like, oh, it feels like summer today. And when that happens, I always listen to Another Sunny Day by Belle and Sebastian, uh, which follows the criteria of a song of the summer because it came out on the 6th of february in 2006 that's true um by our by our uh yearly yes the yearly exactly categories. yeah so like i have a few kind of theories about what makes a song of the summer i think most of them will have a reference to the weather um it'll be relatively upbeat 
it'll be released in either spring or summer, obviously. It'll be a favorite at festivals or um or gigs, particularly outdoor gigs. And I have seen this song performed a good few times at outdoor gigs. Uh, it'll be radio friendly hmm. and it'll be a, either sing along or it'll have a big hook. Interesting. Um, and I think... I think your choice there fits almost all of them. I don't know if it references the weather at all, but there is a reference to ice cream in it, which I will accept. Yes, um, that, I, think that, I think that counts. Yeah, and Another Sunny Day by Bound Sebastian definitely fits all of those criteria. Um, it's just a... I've talked about it before in the podcast uh, when we were talking about the songs that make us happy. Um, it's just one of those songs that I... I smile every time I listen to it. That is nearly enough yeah. for a song of the summer, to be honest. Absolutely. That's a basic criteria. Yeah. A song that makes you smile. So this is Ben Sebastian with another sunny day. Another sunny day I met you up in the garden You were digging blinds I got you beg your pardon So that is your first choice for song of the summer. Um, like I said, yeah, all you has to do is make you smile. That's almost enough. Yeah. Um, and that'll do it. Combined with some sunshine, that's all you need sometimes. Kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that is your first uh, choice for song of the summer. Our, our next choice is kind of, uh, it's a similar vein really, but maybe a, a more personal one. Although I think this one counts as a, a general song of the summer if you take the categories of the likes of uh, festivals and DJ sets and nights out and stuff like that. Um, this is some a song. It's a perennial classic. It's one that's going to come back every year. And I think I always associate the like uh, the subgenre of music that is known as yacht rock uh, with oh summertime. And <laughs> um, that is generally music of a soft persuasion that was mm-hmm. made in the late seventies, early eighties. And uh, music of a soft persuasion is <laughs> such a lovely album title. <laughs> Don't give that away for free. <laughs> give it to Father John Misty quick. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is my uh choice for for that. I think one of the reasons is where um Lumo is going to be doing a uh thing at All Together Now, a day party on the Saturday. And one of the things we're doing is we're breaking it up into hours and we're going to do a Yacht Rock Hour. Unreal. as part of that, I'm sure you're going to hear this song. It is a classic. You'll know the words. You can sing along to it. It is uh, What a Fool Believes by the Doodoo Brothers. See you 
That is a jam, an absolute jam. And uh, yeah, I can't get enough of that song ever. Um, anytime it comes on, you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling good about it. I'm feeling good about it. That's to do with your brothers. Uh, of course, Michael McDonald as well, What a Fool Believes. Um, and your next choice is uh, not necessarily one I would have thought uh, you associate with Summer, but it is a personal choice for you. So tell me why you picked this. Yes. So um, another one of my songs of the summer, it's a specific summer. It's the summer of 2015. Um, it's Kendrick Lamar's King Kunta just because of the kind of impact it had on me that's I had like I just had a particularly good summer that year um I did a lot hung out with a lot of cool people I was you know sharing my apartment with a really cool housemate who we both kind of got into Kendrick Lamar together that summer and we played this song a lot and then we played the album a lot and I just finished my undergraduate degree and I think off the back of the impact that Kendrick had on that summer for me, I went and did my master's degree, basically like my thesis on Kendrick Lamar. So it's just such a personal song to me. Definitely doesn't reference sunshine or like (laughs) the weather or anything, but it, it is one of those that like when I saw it live in an outdoor setting, what? festival it was at some festival that he played at I saw it live at the outdoor setting me and aforementioned housemate were just yelling like song of the summer at each other because it was yeah it was just has such a massive massive impact that summer I know it did for everyone yeah but it's everywhere I loved playing the song when it when it came out well I still do but like um what I loved about it is that first part that you play and everyone the recognition that everyone gets everyone just goes like, oh <gasps> so the part I'm talking about is this I got a bone up here. I don't want you monkey mouth motherfucker sitting in my throne again. I'm mad, but I ain't stressing. True friends. One question. Bitch, where you and I was walking? Now I run a game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off him. Kunta, black man taking no losses. Oh yeah. Bitch, where you and I was walking? Run the game, got the whole world talking. King Kunta, everybody wanna cut the legs off. When you got the yams, what's the yams? The yam is the power that be. You can smell it when I'm walking down the street. We all know how good that song is, that is King Kunta by Kendrick Lamar, but I'm interested to know what the title of your thesis was. Oh, Tell the, the people. The title of my thesis was um, Black Music in White Space, a uh, an analysis of the live performances of Kendrick Lamar and Beyonce. There we go. That was it, yeah. We it's the best thing I've ever written. I'll, I'll, I'll never do anything as good as that again. <laughs> you, have, you did send me a copy of it. I have not read it yet. Sorry. Yeah, that's okay. It's very long. It's It has all of my soul in it. <laughs> it's it's probably a good summertime read, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> There's a lot about like in, institutionalized racism in it. So that's, you know. That, Book that, of the summer. That, that was quite summer. a summer for me writing up that, let me tell you. <laughs> 
but anyway, that song is uh, is sustenance enough anyway yes. uh, to give you uh, some uh, energy to go on some with those feels. kind of things. Yeah, yeah, because uh, it's funny. Like I, I was writing it the year after, and I wrote a lot about that song in it, and. It was amazing to just like have to sit down and study while all your friends are off enjoying their summer and you're stuck inside a library writing a thesis. And I'm like, I'm just here listening to Kendrick, like, and I'm watching Lemonade. This is, this is actually as good as it's ever going to get. You set yourself up pretty well for that one. Yeah, yeah, it was good. It was a good time. Good, good. Okay, so our final category for Song of the Summer um, at this juncture is a, uh, this year's Song of the Summer. Mm. Uh, It's a song that is your current jam, your song that you want to listen to right now. And uh, so my Song of the Summer for 2019 is from Anderson Pack, featuring Brandy, it is called Jet Black. Uh, I have played this DJing a lot, and I was talking about it on the site during the week. And one of the reasons I think it has a superpower in it is that at great volume and I, with good speakers, this song sounds incredible. And it's one of those songs that I think that if you didn't even know what it was, you'd be like, oh, what is this? Um, and it really works in that regard. So here is that song, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Was a fan, but a friend didn't care. I like the ones who buy their own damn beers. If you want to toast to the life that you live, pour enough shots for the whole year. Jet black hair, baby, jet black hair. Matte black Jeep with the Rubicon grill. Who has been a while, baby, don't go there. Who has been a while, baby, come here. Shape black hair, baby, jet black hair. You bought the drinks and I paid no care. Hold a nigga down, don't go nowhere. Who has been a while, baby, come here. We peeking. Yeah, that's Anderson Pack and Brandy from Jet Black from a somewhat disappointing album, Ventura, but that is yeah. clearly the standout of it uh, for me. Uh, it's a song I keep going back to, and it has that kind of hazy uh, brightness that I think works really well for uh, blaring out car windows, for example, Yeah, um, as well. It's just got that magic to it. It's got the lyrics that kind of evoke that kind of good time. Mm. We're having a good time in a club a or elsewhere. Well that the the lyric feels like someone's lifting me could be mistaken as feels like summer. Oh, I thought it was feels like yeah. summer for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, Like I think if you hear that in a club or in a festival situation, you might be feels like, like summer. Feels yeah. like summer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And added bonus for this song is that Brandy features on the hook. Yeah. Um who she I'm sure there's no doubt. 1998 uh, when she released The Boy Is Mine with Monica. Oh, that was the song of the summer of that year. I'm yeah. sure of it. I'm sure of it. It was definitely Is released Brandy in the time. the queen of summertime? <laughs> so there we go. For, for me anyway, maybe. She has two two big hits for songs of the summer. Um, so that is Alison Pack and Brandy with a song called Jet Black, as I was saying. I'm going to be playing that at Lumo this weekend for sure. And I'm probably going to be playing for the next few months and the rest of the year. As I did with Am I Wrong from uh, Anderson Pack's Malibu as well. Same kind of magic in that song. We're like, just sounds so good, loud, and on good speakers. So yeah. then what more do you need? And that's uh, like the song keep coming back to you, especially when the weather is good like it is uh, at the moment. Um, so Dre, what is your final choice? So my final choice, I, I was having a chat with some people in work today about like the concept of a song of the summer and they kept coming back to the idea that it should be a pop song. And I realized that on my list, I didn't really have any pop songs. Um, So two years ago, I remember walking around 
I was going somewhere that evening and it was nicer out than I thought it was going to be. And I was in like jeans and a jumper. And I was like, after work, I was like, I have to go in somewhere and buy a dress. So I was in like Zara or somewhere. And it like, it came on a playlist. And I literally remember having the thought, finally, here's my song of the summer. Because it came out on the 26th of July. And it's Charlie XEX's Boys. And it's just such delicious sugary pop music that again makes me smile it's humorous and it, it's just got that hook it's so good and yeah so that's that's my kind of pop music choice okay. for song of the summer let's hear it i was busy thinking about boys Charlie XCX and boys. Yeah, I agree with you. I think uh, the ideal song of the summer has Pop Smash written all over it. Mm. Like one of the ones from last year for me and because of the crossover appeal it had for a lot of people in terms of like you heard it at DJ sets and it was, you know the way like uh, oftentimes when people, even in more serious DJs are like, oh, I better finish with a song that everyone kind of really mm. knows and get behind. I heard this a lot, um, uh, the song uh, uh, by uh, Calvin Harris and Dua Lipa, One Kiss. I heard that a lot in that context of it was a song that everyone loved it was a song that DJs were playing everywhere mm. and it was just a pop banger that I thought I'm really in worked. the like 0.001% of the world <laughs> that just cannot stand that song. Oh, it goes through me. <laughs> Not my song of the summer. <laughs> okay, very good. Well, sure, that's maybe one of the reasons why it wasn't. I think my song of the summer last year was Neutron Dance by Crystal Clear. I didn't have one. Okay. Yeah. You didn't have one. It's a sad summer. <laughs> Was it we listened to Lana Del Rey instead, maybe? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, that's it. Look, sure, maybe there's going to be another song somewhere. You know, you never know. I mean, you know, it's probably too late for it now. Like, uh, Drake, Nice For What was probably another one last year as well. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. Released at the right time. Well, I mean, Char- Charlie's song didn't come out till the 26th of July last in 2017. It's currently the 24th of July. So we've got two more days if you want to beat out Charlie X. Okay, but she never, she never got the full impact of... No, she if she had a release in April, it would have been much more she uh, popular. There you go. Anyway, yeah. Charlie, do it right. Come on. Get it together. <laughs> right up next, we're going to chat to Dean Van Wyn, a, a writer based in Dublin who writes for the Irish Times and others, and who has written a book about Ghostface Killer, uh, Wu-Tang Clan's uh, secret weapon. Not that secret, really, but uh, had a chat with him uh, earlier this week about... Uh, the appeal of Ghostface Killer 
The book is a series of essays that blend music criticism, cultural examination, and personal appreciation. It is called Iron Age, The Art of Ghostface Killer. Uh, it's by Dean Van Wyn, and I had a chat with him. So let's have a listen. You know? Yo, making moves back and forth uptown. $60 per song is the cafe. Wintertime bubble goose, goose, clouds yeah. of smoke. Music glassing in the A-Rag V blunted. Whip smelling like fish for one, two, fifth. Throwing ketchup on my fries, hitting baseball splits. Back seat with my leg on stick. Push the fucking seat up. Tartar sauce on my s Jake's Jake's is late. Dean Van Wien, thanks very much for coming in. You have just uh, written and uh, published a book called Iron Age, The Art of Ghostface Killer, about presumably one of your favourite rappers. So where does that process start for you? Why would you pick Ghostface over all of the other rappers? I think I just found that his artistry was so broad and incorporated so many different things that in working as a music journalist in general, I kept coming up with ideas about things I wanted to write about that either directly involved him or there were broader ideas that he was that he could feature in. So after a while, it kind of started just to make sense to me to to put them all into one long form project. So what is it about Ghostface that uh, makes you want to insert him into every conversation or every <laughs> pitch? Uh, he's just he kind of unites so many different factors of what makes a really great rap artist. So yeah, I think he's just he's just so very well rounded. And then, as a, as a kind of a personality, he's he's quite enigmatic as well. Um, and he's he's the book isn't isn't actually quite like a biography. So I wasn't trying to to get to the bottom of his of his life story or anything. But he he has he's kind of his story is shrouded in mystery, which was which is interesting to me as too. Uh, and one of the reasons I also wanted to do the book is I think his his legacy is secure as part of the Wu-Tang Clan. They will be remembered forever. But his legacy as a solo artist isn't quite as revered. Um, and so it is hard when, when you've made your name in a group to establish yourself as, as an individual, as a great artist. So that's one of the things I wanted to do with the book is pretty much just kind of siphon him off and say, well, this is why he, as, as an individual, was is one of the, the great rap artists. Where does the where does your think your obsession start with Ghostface? Like, is there any particular track or album that? Yeah, you know? definitely. Uh, well, when I was growing up, I was a big rap fan, and I grew up mostly in the nineties. So Wu Tang was big in the schoolyard with school in Walkerstown, <laughs> and we used to get. Hey, look! It was big everywhere. Like, yeah, this in Kildare, it. it was the same. It was like yeah. people reciting "Triumph" back at each other all the time. Yeah, and I think kind of the HMV in in the square had had a or had a rap rack and there was one on probably on on henry street as well and lads used to get the the cds and then we'd, we'd pass songs around then on cassette tapes and all this kind of stuff and wu-tang were a really big part of that i think gravel pit was obviously a huge song um even before that you know wu-tang clan ain't nothing to fuck with was a big song uh cream and all that so they were i i was well aware of them and i was a fan and even albums kind of like w and iron flag which weren't massive they're, they're among their classics were, were big for me but then when i went to college um i that was around the time it was maybe the mid-2000s and ghostface was starting to hit a certain groove where he was not only making some of the best music of his career he was kind of making music that sounded it was more 
a, a Ghostface style rather than they were more less less like Wu Tang records and more like Ghostface records. And around this is also around the time you know Method Man is now primarily doing acting and you know Riz is doing film scores. Um, ODB had died, I think, around that time. So, so yeah, when I was, so then when I kind of was in college and an album's like Pretty Tony album comes out in Fishscale, like you mentioned, which I, I do a chapter in the book just about Fishscale. Uh, that was around the time when those were albums where I was listening to kind of my first iPod as soon as it was over, starting it again. So, yeah, that was the genesis, I suppose, of my real fandom into him as a, as a, in particular. Um, and do you think... Like in writing the book, you've kind of um, unmasked that enigma that is Ghostface at all, or Tony Stark's, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, well, this, I mean, he has so many, like all the Wu-Tang Clan, he has so many different uh, names, there, and, but they're all, a, they all have like a distinct, a distinct part of him. Um, I tried to trace his artistry and what made him the artist that he, that he is. So, you know, this, this is, a, I've always been a big Kung Fu movie fan, so I kind of, went in and, and talked about all of, like a bunch of the movies that he took influence from, including the one that uh, actually has a character called the ghost faced killer, <laughs> um, uh, which is Ninja checkmate, which is a really good movie. So, you know, things like that, things like the comic books he read, like it, it, the book goes all the way back to kind of the genesis of Staten Island and uh, through the, to kind of the five percenters and how they and so influenced hip hop language and and then kind of pointing at examples in his lyrics and things like that. So yeah, I've tried. To, I don't know about unmasking, but I've just tried to I suppose take him from as many different angles as I can and just I suppose contextualize his his body of work as best as I could. Yeah, yo, hey, yo, dangerous thoughts, mind of a militia. Bottles of the 150 poured over the twisters. Broken bones, the pillars, Staten Island's the illest. The biggest landfillers, we creep like caterpillars. Love razors, dirty guns with a few bodies. Teach niggas how to walk again from the fucking shoddy. Six cents, six pack, six degrees of separation. My evil third eye blinks with no hesitation. Dust bags, spoonfuls of sugar, help the medic. Go down smooth and steady, blow on the green deadly. Hem we pops, isolated of hash bricks. Needle left stuck in his arm, died of a bad fix. We still rock, still dry drawers on the stove. Got breath from back in the days, it's growing some old. Tupac's back, my Glock's fat after the gun smoke. You screaming, where my block at? Where do you think he sits now in terms of uh, modern rap music? Obviously, like there's so many different types of trends and, and styles. Like it, often the 90s hip hop stuff sounds so older and just like it, it is a different time it is a different time like we're talking about the likes of migos and all that kind of like trap style like ghostface is old school in that way he doesn't like you said he still uses soul samples and even yeah, instrumentation maybe live instrumentation from kind of soul norm kind of stuff so where does he fit in in terms of modern uh music culture and rap culture in particular yeah, I'm glad he. I'm glad he hasn't experimented in that kind of Migos style or anything as as this as, as a kind of I suppose a, a lurch to to try and be relevant. Um, I think it's interesting with New York rap at the moment because it was for a good few years there. It was probably as bad as it's ever been, um, and most of the artists were coming out of there were retro revivalists. Um, I suppose not to, not to say that he, this person wasn't good, but Action Bronson kind of personifies that uh, where he was mistaken for Ghostface for, for yeah, quite a bit yeah, start. of course yeah, yeah. and now I, I, think, I love I love action Bronson but it just I suppose it it oh yeah, it's it embodies how 
slowly New York hip hop is starting to move. Um, but I think now you're seeing guys like you know, Grisilda Gang or Saigon and all those guys who, and West Saigon named his album Supreme Blindtail, okay. pretty close to Ghostface, Supreme Clientel. And they've worked with Raekwon and stuff like that. So they're, I find them interesting because they're taking that Wu-Tang aesthetic, but they're moving into different places. And then you've got these guys like um, Six Press and Mike uh, who are making New York music with, who are drawing from old aesthetics, but, 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 but making it their own and casting it into something new. So, I, you know, I think Wiki is another artist I really like. Ghostface yeah, had a... Yeah, big had, fan of him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's he's another guy who has been influenced, I think, by the Wu-Tang Clan and Ghostface. A really good verse on his last album. So I think among these guys, he's seen as like a senior figure and, and his style meshes well enough. But it's, 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 it's interesting to me and, and exciting that these guys aren't, you know, just sitting around making music that sounds like it could it should slide into the 90s and, and as you know as it should so yeah i guess like for me like yeah wu-tang is just so central to everybody's like, like me and my peers childhood and uh, like growing up and you're like hearing rap i remember like you talked about cassettes and like the first one of the first cassettes i got from somebody was just like a collection of uh rap music from late 80s early 90s and i was like this is what you have to get into obviously it's much easier now to like discover and and go the uh to distance with a with a catalog from an artist because of spotify and the likes uh, it's so much easier to do that so if you were starting uh, if you were telling somebody who hadn't listened to ghostface before and was like okay where should i start where would you send them well when i'm at parties and i want to play some ghostface and people ask for it uh i always play be easy the song i think it's probably is his most jump around the single The interesting thing about him is, of course, like you go all the way back to beginning because he has the first verse on the first Wu Tang album as well, on, on uh, "Bring the Ruckus," which kind of established the whole tone of of, of the group. I wouldn't say he has a better album than Supreme Clientele, but you know, Fishscale is also five stars for me. Um, so those, I suppose, those are, are a pretty good, pretty good place to start. Yeah, check this up, top murderers. Snowy in the bezel is the cloud murders. FBI trying one word with this kid who pooped out, but the shot up in the beacon. Catch me in the corner, not speaking. Crushed out heavenly, you G rock the sweet daddy long fox mix. Chicken and broccoli while he looks stinky with his man straight from Raleigh dorm. He recognized Kojak. I slapped the five master killer, cracked his tiny form. A by Thanks to Dean um, for coming in and having a chat about Thanks, his Dean. book, Iron Age, The Art of Ghostface Killer, um, in lieu of a regular um, song to finish the podcast coming up, we're actually going to have an excerpt of Dean reading the intro to the book. So uh, stick around for that. You can hear a bit more. So uh, you can get the book on Amazon. It's out on Headstuff at the moment um, as well. So uh, it's available on a Kindle and all that kind of stuff as mm. well. So interesting book. Um, but not an audio book. Not an so audio book. If you want to hear him read it. Exclusive. Stick around. So you can see that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that is uh, Dean Van Wyn's Iron Age, uh, The Art of Ghostface Killer. 
Trey, it is the end of the podcast, and as such, it's I'm time so excited. to so excited. ask you what you've been reading, watching, or listening to this week. I just have one thing. Okay, I that's finally good. did it. I watched Fleabag. Hey, I'm in bits. <laughs> I'm dead. Watched I, so I both watched seasons. It. No, so right, I watched the first four episodes of it a few months ago on your recommendation, mm. and it didn't grab me as much as I thought it was going to. And I just sort of, I left it aside. And then last night I, I had a very rare free evening. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm in the mood to like watch something, really get into something. So I was like, right, I'll finish season one of Fleabag. I'll give it a go. Finish season one. I was like, that was really good. Watch season two. Good God. It is some of the best television I've ever seen in my entire life. It, the Some of the fourth wall breaks, I gasped like I literally recoiled in my bed um like such brilliant brilliant performances it's proper groundbreaking television and I can't believe I haven't watched it until now well it only came out a few months ago don't be so hard on yourself I know but it was such of a moment but right and I told this to a few people today and they didn't believe me so you know this is the truth so I watched it last night and if you've seen season two of Fleabag, you'll know. But if you haven't, it involves a priest, right? So remember that. I get on the bus this morning and I go and I sit down beside a young man who is reading a book, but not any book. He was reading the Bible, <laughs> which you don't see very often, but he just, he was there reading Matthew. And I was like, this, do I now believe in God? Is this the Lord talking <laughs> to me and telling me? I don't know. But yeah, it was fantastic and I've been was literally going around the office today being like who's seen Fleabag and who will come and talk to me about it because I'm devastated there's not going to be any more mm. seasons of it but ah oh, if you're out there like dm me about Fleabag because <laughs> I'm still very much in it Andrea wants to talk to people about Fleabag I do, I, we need to talk about Fleabag <laughs> people uh, it's a great show i like the fact that it's only a limited series i think those, i know some of those me too are the best, but you know. i also don't i also want yeah it, but it's perfect the way it is you can't get any better or any worse um yeah. as it is and i think it's a perfect encapsulation of that story it ended beautifully yeah like, really really so you didn't talk gorgeous. to the priest to be on the bus in any way you didn't no he didn't look like andrew scott so (laughs) (laughs) no interest okay fair enough um i have been watching i started watching deadwood um the Ah, show that was out years ago that i never saw swearing huh there's a lot of spitting and swearing a lot of spitting and swearing based in the west yeah uh well well west um i'm enjoying it so far i'm only i'm six episodes in um i'm getting into it now i think Mm. I, it's one of those shows where you know like people are like oh you have to see Deadwood and you watch one and you're like I don't know I'm gonna enjoy this and then, that happened to me yeah I never went back to it but I kind of got my teeth into it a bit more and I was like oh it didn't take that long it wasn't like oh when do you get to season two and it gets really good it was mm. like because I've had that before with a what's TV show recently Justified I tried to watch that and I was like I just felt like I was wasting my time <laughs> yeah. getting to a point yeah. of, of enjoyment and I was like I'm, life is too short for this stuff um, so I've been enjoying Deadwood at the moment I hope to watch more of them all the box sets are up on the sky thing at the moment so I'm I think I heard that. about Deadwood that um, the script writers really made an effort to like all the like swearing and sayings and stuff is really uh what's the word 
like true to how people would have spoken yeah. in the West then, uh, which I think is kind of interesting. It's mm. like to to get the diet, like to spend so much time perfecting the dialect of it seems like an interesting kind of way in, mm. but can also be quite isolating. I think, yeah, one of the reasons why I wanted to watch it as well is the fact that there's a Deadwood movie out now as mm. well to kind of tie it all up. So it kind of makes sense to watch it now because uh, it's all available as well. Um, easy. Um, is it on Netflix? No, it's on like the Sky box set thing. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but there's lots of good stuff on that actually at the moment. So um, worth watching. You can rewatch all the wires if you don't have all the DVDs and stuff like that. They should sponsor us. <laughs> okay sure uh and also like i've been starting playing video games again and w- f- funny one of the things actually uh the big game from last year red dead redemption 2 is kind of ties in with all that like the yeah. wild wild west i love games where you can just like uh scoot around and do whatever you like or um kind of like story driven narratives and there's mm. another game i've been playing recently called uh detroit becoming human about um uh, androids in the modern world and in the future and all this kind of stuff it's very much like actually uh that other tv show uh based in in the wild west what is it called uh, that i can't uh, remember right now Westworld. Westworld. yeah that's oh one. god a i couldn't like that. get into uh, that yeah. at all or that uh, there was a tv show called humans on channel four a couple of years ago about mm. androids who living in in the modern world and how they like basically break and not and uh, become conscious and the singularity and all that kind of stuff a lot of it's very obvious stuff but i kind of just enjoy those kind of uh, games where it's very interactive but like you don't have to do an awful lot you're kind of just watching it <laughs> sometimes i feel like old town road has pushed you into your cowboy phase oh damn i think that's what's happened well my here. wife has been listening to a lot of willie nelson on long drives recently what? like i mean it's all coming together yeah here we go I'm gonna <laughs> gonna move saddle up and move west yeah <laughs> and that's it really i've been listening to a lot of tyler the creator's album in the last week as well as a aforementioned beastie boys um my summer song kind of jams um mm-hmm. so i've just been listening to them on repeat as well and uh, that's pretty much it i haven't been reading anything other than the new yorker big mm-hmm. stack of new my other thing i'm always doing is reading <laughs> the new yorker and catching up and yeah. uh something i really enjoy doing as well so that's me in terms of media consumption for this week yeah in terms of listening i'm i'm still on i'm kind of still on the fave albums just gone back to nilo Friania, um cool. yeah. a lot this week and it's a good time to do it because we were going to review the flaming lips this week and i'd never even got a chance to listen to it yeah i i I listened to it and i just didn't i didn't connect with it enough to kind of have anything interesting to say on it so we can move into h2 next week with whatever album comes out then Mm. sure isn't chance the rapper due to chance the rapper's album is due to arrive on friday so i'll see about that you might cancel that as well well presumably we'll be talking about that uh, (laughs) next week as well um but in the meantime um this is it for us from this week if you like what you're hearing please do tell your friend and subscribe and uh, consider signing up to the patreon as well um and we're going to leave you with not a song but a, a dean van Wyn reading the an excerpt from his book about ghost space killer this is uh dean i'm reading from his book iron age the art of ghost space killer see ya bye in the beginning he was one of nine the Wu-Tang Clan's first swordsman deployed on the first verse of the first song of their very first album. Ghostface Killer emerged with a mask bound to his face, skulking in the shadows as the clan's concrete beats and doom doctrine spread through the five boroughs and later across the entire planet. His fealty to the W was unquestioned, his blade a powerful weapon in the group's arsenal. It was all there in that Bring the Ruckus verse. Enter the Wu-Tang 36 chambers open up with one of its most poisonous darts. 
Ghostface, catch the blast of a hype first, the behemoth spits. My glock bursts, leaving a hearse, I did worse. Ghost goes on to compare his toughness to an elephant's tusk, his trickiness to Nixon, and his explosiveness to the wacko Texas standoff between the ATF and David Kresh's Branch Davian compound that ended in a huge fire, killing dozens. It was 1993, and you were listening to the sounds of the Wu-Tang Clan. To a certain type of casual fan, Ghost remains just 11.11% of a greater entity. He shouldn't. The years slipped away, and so did the Ghost's mask. As members of the clan revealed their individualism, he created the densest of solo catalogues. His career has often been seen, seen in buttheads with clan allies while never abandoning his band of brothers. He is a rap legend within and outside of the Wu. This book attempts to raise him out further out of the pack and solidify his legacy. But why is Dennis Coles the one? He did not write Wu scripture to the same extent that Riza did. Turn a camera on him and he doesn't possess the star quality of Method Man. If you were to ask what my highest ranking album stamped the Wu symbol is, it would be the Jizz's Liquid Swords all day. And when it comes to narrative punch, Raekwon is Ghost's sequel. Yet whenever I'm asked who my favorite rapper of all time is, Ghost is the answer that just fits. I'd never say anyone spit as hard as Biggie or was as captivating as MF Doom. There are a few artists who have made a better clutch of albums than Kanye West or carried the star like Jay-Z or sounded as earth-shattering, earth-shatteringly righteous as Public Enemy. But if you unite all the key components that make up a rap artist, album making, beat picking, lyricism, storytelling, straight incredible rapping, one man stands alone. Many components go into building one of the greatest rap artists of all time. This book will attempt to deconstruct the machine and examine ghost bionic makeup piece by piece. Like his Wu-Tang brethren, Coles goes by many numb de plume. Tony Starks, Iron Man, Pretty Tony, Ghost Dini, Starky Love, The Wallaby Champ, the list goes on. But these monikers aren't arbitrary or skin deep. Each name gives an alternative glimpse of the man. He's like a photographer, constantly finding new angles from which to snap himself. Now, I'm trying to wrest control of the camera in an effort to capture all the elements that form Ghost's indomitable artistry. Call this an accompanying piece to a searing discography if you want to be really generous. But what really follows is a series of essays that blend music criticism, cultural examination, and personal appreciation, focusing on one person out of nearly 8 billion. It's the almighty Ghostface killer. Who could deny him? Not a living soul. Missing the target on the business.